Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, after a brief moment of dealing with some uh, technical difficulties, we now have Mac Robinson. So, can you hear me? Uh, Mac? Yes. I can, and can you, you can hear me too, correct? Yeah, I can hear you now. There we go. Okay. Perfect. Excellent. I'll go ahead and so, hang up. Um, no problem. <laughs> so after um, some brief, after some brief difficulty, we now are all where we need to be. So, um, first of all, congratulations! You are now associated with the the most buzzworthy, talked about, uh, discussed team in the NFL. Uh, this may <laughs> not have been true five years ago, ten years ago, twenty-five years ago, thirty, thirty-five, forty years ago, but it's true right now. So you timed it perfectly. Yeah, and that's the kind of funny thing is that, oddly enough, so um, before my uh, time with the OBR got started here, uh, I was with Brownswire previously, and my first year with them was 2017, which, as everybody knows, uh, that was the 0-16 year. So really, I just have a, a knack of just finding that perfect timing where it's either really bad or really good. So I'm really excited to uh, be joining the team and really be covering the team this season. Perfect. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, this team is constructed mostly through the draft. We'll, we'll talk, obviously, about some big-time additions that came other ways, but we'll start with the draft. Uh, the last couple of years, the Browns have drafted well, and they've drafted linchpin-type players. They have a guy who's becoming an elite-level defensive end. They have a couple of nice linebackers. They have some interesting pieces in the secondary. They have one of the most discussed young players in the league, a quarterback, uh, who He's a bit of a, a lightning rod. People either love him or they hate him, but I think more love than hate for the most part. Uh, you've got impressive young running backs, a couple of them. Uh, some, once again, drafted. Some came, you know, via other means. Uh, and, of course, obviously, one very, very famous guy who came via trade. So uh, let's begin with the draft. Tell me what was your assessment of the, of the, the last couple of Browns drafts and what things stood out to you. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, taking a look back at everything and e- even some of the guys who really are kind of going under the radar, I would even say too, like a Joe Schobert or some of those guys who end up turning oh, into I'm Lynch a big fans. Joe Schobert guy. You just made a, a as keep going. Yeah, as am I, as am I. I. I love Joe Schobert and what he's able to bring to the table. And um, especially too, because of the fact that, uh, like I said, that first year, that 0-16 year, I really got familiarized with the defense and kind of picking out what the what the bright spots were with this team. And Joe was definitely one of those guys. And really kind of going through, um, the Browns really ha- have hit on some of those guys. Obviously, you need to hit on those early draft picks. And when you've got a Miles Garrett and e- even David Njoku is kind of coming into his own right. But at the same time, some of those earlier picks really, uh, I-, I forgot who said it, but the fact that the Cleveland Browns, since the implementation of the that fifth-year rookie option, 
the Cleveland Browns have never had to use one up until Miles Garrett and David Njoku. And so for the fact that we're at this point, the fact that this draft has really gone well, when you take a look at some of the guys, and not only those Miles Garrett's that everybody's going to say, oh, that's an easy pick, but you look at, like I mentioned, Joe Schobert, Richard Higgins has turned into one of those very good possession receivers on this team that I would say, and somebody who obviously kind of falls a little bit behind when you talk about the limelight of Jarvis Landry and, and Odell Beckham Jr., but even still, I'm a big fan of Richard Higgins coming into this year. But even still, you have some of those guys who get taken a little bit later on that end up performing very well. And I got to give credit to John Dorsey because it it takes some serious guts to go ahead and take that Denzel Ward pick at at number four when everybody's expecting you to go Bradley Chubb. He goes that he takes his guys and he sticks to his guns. And I mean, obviously, Baker Mayfield coming into that 2018 draft, uh, I was extremely excited to land him because of the fact that Baker was my number one quarterback that year. So for me, I I was extremely excited to not only see Baker Lane in a solid situation, but to end up being on a team that I was covering and that I, that I grew up rooting for, I was extremely excited. And to, to tell you too, I mean, the gets us level uh, here in Cleveland is something that everybody kind of monitors and Baker Mayfield was at the Indians game tonight and went ahead. They put him on the jumbotron and he uh, he shotgunned a beer by opening it with his teeth and then shotgunned the entire beer to which the entire crowd went insane. And Baker Mayfield is just that guy that the city of Cleveland has rallied around. And whether it be Colin Cowherd talking smack about him or any of the other national guys, honestly, it just fuels Cleveland fans all that more. And really, the draft has been what has been the backbone uh, for this, and obviously people are going to say that Odell is going to take him over the top, but I mean, that they have really drafted well with the foundation that they've had. I mean, look at how quickly they turned it around from the days when they have two first-round draft picks who in three years were out of football entirely, right? I mean, <laughs> clearly they've turned it around. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's that's the biggest change is that, I mean, it seemed like every two years it was, well, this is probably the biggest draft in the Browns history. And literally it was every two years with uh, Trent Richardson and Brandon Whedon. Uh, then it was um, Justin yeah. Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. And then the yep. following year with Cam Irving and Danny Shelton. Um, but finally, well, to, like... At least those guys are still... In- you know, playing football. So I'll give, I'll give Shelton and Eric some credit. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, the the one thing was that the fact, and I will say this, I was a big fan of them moving down in that Carson Wentz trade too, because if people talk about, oh, you should have taken Wentz. In my opinion, it was the stage that they were at. They had so many overpriced veterans on that team and they had very little young talent out of anything. They really needed to strip it down to the bare bones to go ahead and really build it back up through the draft, like we've mentioned, to be in this position. And really taking a look at it, I, I I was a fan of the move at the time. Now, obviously, Corey Coleman hasn't really turned out all that well, as Giants fans are finding out. Um, but really, I mean, it, it's it's been interesting. And the way that things have kind of shaken out, even to um, – I've talked with other people as well about it too, but I even thought about the fact that by that year three – was when you should have gone for the quarterback. And obviously, 
going for Baker. I mean, that was the perfect fit, not only for City, but also for the organization. And just from a talent standpoint, it couldn't get much better as a fit for, for this team. He has that combination of, I mean, I'm going to go back before your time, but some of those daredevil guys like Bobby Lane and, and Kenny Stabler, you know, guys that had that sort of, you know, badass swagger, whatever term you want to use to describe <laughs> it, but combined mm-hmm. with pinpoint accuracy and great judgment, especially for a guy so young, you don't normally see those things come together. Normally the swaggery, you know, it's a beer shotgun in, you know, um, kind of <laughs> bad boy image guys also love to throw interceptions, you know, um, mm-hmm. jamming the ball into triple, you know, into triple covers. To his credit, that's not who he is as a quarterback. He is actually, despite all of the stuff that people might say, he's a super good decision maker to be so young. And he's only getting better at that. I think someday he's going to, be one of those guys who's a threat to rewrite the um, completion percentage record. I mean, he's a guy that I think might be a, you know, mid-70s percentile completion percentage guy at some point in his career, <laughs> uh, which is frightening because he's not just a dinker and dunker. And, yes, who wouldn't want to have, you know, basically a slightly taller version of Vernon Davis at tight end? Uh, <laughs> you've got the band back together with, uh, you know, uh, the, the best friends for life, basically, of Landry and OBJ, and a really interesting group of running backs. Now, Duke Johnson is trying to work his way out of town, and I think they're going to, if they can get, you know, a halfway decent offer, I'm sure they'll, they'll, you know, they'll help him move on with his mm-hmm. life and career because, one, they don't flip room for him, and, and, uh, and frankly, you don't need him. Um, and he's, you know, he's done well in his time when he's been healthy, which has always been a big if uh, in Duke Johnson's previous career. But he is a classic third-down receiving back, but, you know, they've got a lot of mouths in the back position, and the other guys can do more things. Yeah, and, and that's the biggest thing. And the one thing I will say, too, st- that's really stood out to me at camp even so far is that I really like what I've seen out of Dontrell Hilliard. And yep. really seeing him play there, I, I'm just like, it, it makes Duke Johnson, I don't want to say irrelevant, but I mean, out of anything, it really kind of takes away his role, in my opinion, to the extent where if you are able to get a even a halfway decent offer for Duke Johnson, I mean, I'm taking it because I think that Dontrell Hillier could really do well as that third down running back and take over that role. And I would feel comfortable with him in that role, despite the fact that he has more interceptions in the NFL than carries. Yes. Now that's a, um, an interesting piece of, uh, what do you call it? Next level uh, statistics. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> and once again, this is a guy that has enjoyed watching Deuce Johnson, liked him in college and liked him in the NFL. You guys only get to carry 53 guys. <laughs> you know, you can only carry with so many running backs. And, you know, I'm just being very blunt. There's a salary cap. Duke Johnson wants more money. Mr. Hilliard, let's be very clear, is still on his rookie deal. He's not asking for anything else extra anytime soon. So 
economics, opportunities, uh, restrictions as the position, how many guys you can carry. Everything points towards Duke Johnson being elsewhere, one way or the other, uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And especially, too, if there wasn't as much running back talent on this team, um, I would say that Duke has a solid role. But even still, I mean, the fact that Hilliard has been performing fantastically. Um, and on top of that, too, really, the fact that he's an undrafted free agent. Like, the, the fact that yep. he has an opportunity to go ahead and take on that bigger role. And not only that, too, but you have some of the other guys uh, like Alouette from uh, OU, who's actually he, – he's come in. He's been a good power back, but he, he's he's shown some things for this team. But uh, in addition to him, um, I can't remember the first name for him, but Johnson, uh, another Johnson on this team, uh, has really been performing well as, as a backup running back as well. Um, more of a little bit of a one-cut type of, type of back, but um, still a solid backup uh, and solid depth as Kareem Hunt will be serving that first half of the season on the uh, suspended list. But even still, I mean, I, I think that Duke Johnson at this point is a luxury. And the only issue that I think that the Browns are running into right now for accommodating that, because I mean, the fact that he switched agents over to Drew Rosenhaus, I mean, that certainly doesn't help the case, but at the same time um, for Duke Johnson, the issue that he's running into is that there's 31 other teams that have that receiving back. And that's what he's viewed as. Uh, in the NFL, really. And so at that, and in addition to that, too, they're not paying them $5 million. So yeah. that's kind of the issue that he's kind of running into at this point. People rarely give that kind of money to an 8-12 to 12 touch guy who hasn't even been able to stay healthy as an 8-12 to 12 touch guy. That's, that's a tough way to go. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and not to mention, too, I think that part of it was also just the hey, you know what, thanks for sticking it out with us through, through all the bad. Um, here, we'll give you a little bit of a pay raise. And on top of that, too, I think that it was a rare situation where you have an opportunity to add a talented back like a Kareem Hunt. And John right. Dorsey has talked about it over and over again that he's not going to leave any stone unturned when it comes to adding talent to this team and they have a chance to add Kareem Hunt. I mean, that's tough to pass up, especially despite all the PR that they've kind of had right. to deal with ever since then. And of course, he was in Kansas City, you know, when they when they got Hunt. So he probably has some insight, at least, into what he thinks of him as a person. And you know, I I think all of us have offered our opinions. Uh, I think, though, there were some extenuating circumstances from what I can understand regarding the incident that uh, you know we've all referred to. Mm-hmm. He clearly did not handle it well. I hope he's learned from it, and I hope we never have to, you know, have any further discussions, at least in the future, about his behavior regarding uh, women and things like that. Mm-hmm. But either way, everyone knows that, I mean, talk about a powerhouse backfield. Uh, <laughs> you can, because both, both, of their, both of their main running backs, once he becomes available, our guys can do some of everything. They can run mm-hmm. for power. You know, between the tackles, they can. They have an, each of them has enough juice to get to the edge. They both catch the ball well. They both protect fairly well in the passing game. As as blitz pickup guys, I mean, you can do a lot um, if you decide to go twenty-one personnel. You know, you it doesn't necessarily tip your hand. 
you might not be necessarily running the ball just because you get too bad. So it's an exciting time, I guess, <laughs> staying in the, in, the, in the land of Cleves. So take me through some of the – we already talked about the running back position, so I guess moving on from that position, give me some other uh, battles in terms of positions in, um, in uh, camp. Well, some of the other ones that have really been interesting, uh, I've I've been looking a lot at some of the linebackers. Obviously, uh, I wanted to see the progress when it came to Mac Wilson as well as uh, Sione Takitaki. And Takitaki, obviously, he's known as that that physical type of thumper, um, and he's really shown off his quickness and and athleticism, uh, getting the yep. whole stopping the run. So he's got a definite role in that uh, early on in his career. But I definitely think with his athleticism, he's he's showing some um, at least potential when it comes to uh, coverage. And, I mean, Steve Wilkes has talked about that being his main area of uh, weakness that he's got to improve on. But I think he can take that uber-athletic um, Sam Backer type of, line, type of uh, linebacker role on this defense going forward. But in addition to him, too, Mac Wilson's almost kind of the opposite, where he, he's, he's very good in coverage. Um, but it, I think that that's kind of the, the role that he's going to be stuck with for a little while. It's going to be that uh, sub-linebacker, possibly mainly working in coverage, coming in uh, for, the, for the Browns. But in addition to that, too, um, the other battles that I've really been looking at, uh, the main two battles that I've been looking at are wide receiver uh, for those last couple of spots. And I've always been looking at right guard. Um, I would start with the flashier position, that being wide receiver. Uh, Derek Willies has looked uh, pretty good. He's been pretty. He's been the most consistent out of those uh, second tier of guys, really. When we're talking about the other than the top four um, of Odell, Jarvis, Higgins, and Antonio Callaway, but Willies, I really like his chances to make the roster. Somebody who I thought was going to make the roster or had a chance to make the roster, but ultimately got injured was Blake Jackson, who was waived yesterday with an injury designation. He actually looked pretty good, in my opinion. Um, but other than him, I mean, early on in camp, Damon Sheehy Giuseppe actually kind of flashed a little bit uh, for this team. But since then, he he's kind of faded a little bit to the back. The one that I would give the inside track to right now, if I had if I had to choose, would probably be Jalen Strong. Uh, they've been working him oh, a little bit yeah. as he's been working as that big slot, uh, backing yep. up Jarvis. And I, I like what I've seen out of him so far. Um, and he he's provided a few big plays here and there. But uh, other than him, I mean, there's been some guys who have flashed. I mean, Dorian Baker's looked all right, but he's had some concentration drops um, so far in camp. But I mean, other than those guys, really, I, I really like what I've seen from the wide receiving wide receiving group as a whole. Um, but then transitioning over to the guards, it, it's really been kind of a wait and see type of approach for for this position, just because of the fact that, in my opinion, I haven't seen anybody really stand out all that much, and they've really had a rotation of, okay, you're gonna have so for instance, Austin Corbett was uh, starting out the day on Friday. Uh, and then they had uh, Kalis working as the backup center, and then Eric Cush as the backup right guard. And then the next day is going to be Kalis with Corbett at backup center, and then you're going to have Cush at backup guard or Corbett at backup guard, and they just rotate the three. And 
none of them have really stepped up. And I'm at the point now where I'm not sure if it's them as that their play or if it's because of the fact that this defensive line is so good that I, I don't know if it's – I don't know what to kind of believe with what I'm seeing because of the fact that that defensive line is so dominant. And not only that, too, I mean, it's not just uh, Ogan Joby and Richardson, which let me just say Richardson, Richardson's addition to this defense might be the most underrated of the offseason because I've seen Trayvon Coley the last two years. And every year I've been saying that that's the one that's the one hole on that front seven has been that that three tech defensive tackle and Sheldon Richardson's athleticism, his speed, and his power. Yeah has really fit in perfectly. But that right guard position has been something that I've really keep, kept my eye on. Well, before you start with the right guard position, let's start with strengths of last week. Guard was a close and there were some questions about his ability to redirect, change direction, you know, uh, if something Looks like it's coming this way, and then all of a sudden it's coming from the backside. His ability to react back and things like that. Corbett, of course, is the opposite. Um, some people thought, some people questioned his toughness. I wasn't one of the people, but some did. But everyone knew he could move. He was a mover. He was a guy that was really good in space, things like that. And Kalis, right, okay. I'll try to ruin all the, all the parts. And then Kalis <laughs> was always seen, right, Kalis was always seen as a guy who, high football IQ, but some people questioned if he was powerful enough and things like that. So these guys seem to have somewhat different strengths and weaknesses. Take me through what you've seen out of them, and if one guy is good at something particularly, like, hey, this guy's really good, you know, if we run inside zone, or this guy's really good at this, this guy's really good at, you know, uh, picking up blitzes, or this guy's really good at calling, you know, calling protections. I mean, where where are these guys' strengths and weaknesses lie? Because that often will decide who sticks. Well, the main thing that I've been kind of trying to keep an eye on really has been a lot of their technique, um, really. And the one that I would say has been the most consistent, I would say, out of the three when it comes to, I mean, not even getting beat really off the snap um, has been Kush, uh, really. But Corbett ha- has been... I mean, he's been kind of inconsistent with his footwork a little bit, but that that's the main thing. And, I mean, I asked uh, Batonio on the second day, too, kind of what his impressions really have been when it comes to the improvements with those guys. And, really, I think it's the fact that they're kind of still getting comfortable with the offense. Um, and the fact that you talk about Kalis, and Kalis, I think you're right with that. I think you can tell that Corbett really is a little bit more powerful uh, when it comes to out by the stance, but uh, Kalis is a li- is a little bit lacking in that regard. Um, but Corbett, you see it there, but at the same time too, you see that there's a lot. There's sometimes where a little bit with the hands, uh, with his hand placement that he struggles slightly. But really, it's just a three. It's a three. It's a three horse race right now, and none of them have really separated from the pack. Uh, that I will say, um, but it, that's something that I'm going to be really interested to see going forward, especially uh, in preseason game number one against the Redskins. And as I say, when I ever speak to young men, 
that the last six to eight spots on a roster, 40, you know, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, those guys, you know, who are the last few guys to get cut or kept, the big deciding factor is special teams. Who are the guys that have stood out, whether it be coverage, returning, uh, which guys have looked the best in special teams? Well, I, I would say for one, um, I, I really look at the fact that in, in previous years, there would be some of those guys uh, you see like, uh, and the one name that I, I will never forget was, uh, I think it was in 2016, 2016 or 2017, but Josh Lenz, the wide receiver, was one of those guys who I thought would stick as one of those special teams guys. But really, the thing that I will give credit to is the fact that none of the guys have backed away from special teams. And you see Greedy Williams working on the outside of punt coverage. And you see some of these other guys that even though they might be higher draft picks or even Odell talking about the fact that, hey, you know what, go ahead, run me back there for punt returns. And seeing some of those guys, Antonio Callaway getting work there as well. Um, but I, I will say that um, just some of those last few guys, uh, Tavir Thomas is, has been one of those guys that has really been talked up as a special teamer. Um, I think that the main way that if Damon Sheehy Giuseppe wants to make the team, I think that he's got to make it as a return man. He's been getting some work, but they also have him working a little bit up closer to the line, which, I mean, I don't know if that's the best way to utilize him in my opinion, but I mean, I, I'm not paid to be a coach. That's not my role. So, um, but at the same time though, uh, even Terrence Mitchell, um, who to be quite honest, I think he's going to end up losing that starting gig to greedy and because greedy has come out a lot better in a, as a corner um so far but terrence mitchell has really looked good on special teams as well um and, and some of these other guys as well sheldrick redwine has looked pretty good as well in in special teams um and it it's really interesting too because i and i'm glad you asked about special teams too because i think that they end up it would not shock me in the slightest if he doesn't make it on the practice squad if they have him on speed dial but jamie gillen has been one of those guys where Britton Colquitt will consistently get you 46, 47, 48 yards on a punt. But Jamie Gillen, if if he is able to get down the accuracy aspect of it where he's able to pinpoint, okay, I'm going to be able to get this ball into that corner uh, inside the 20, inside the right corner, then I think that he's definitely, definitely a rosterable uh, punter. I think he's going to be a very good punter. He's wowed the crowd a lot of times with his punts. Um, and really has that booming leg. But I think Britton Colquitt, because he's kind of got that consistency, I think he's going to be the one who ends up making it out. Got it. So tell us about what's going on in terms of the backup situation. So the backup QB situation, I've, I've been kind of monitoring as well. Uh, and I've really been interested because of the fact that it, it's almost two different, it, it's almost philosophically you're at a crossroads when it comes to the back of quarterbacks. So Drew Stanton has been that mentor for Baker Mayfield, uh, since he came to Cleveland. But the, the thing is with, with Stanton that I've seen is that, I mean, they're, he, he's the, he's a consistent veteran, but at the same time, you see a little bit more errant throws with him and. 
if it were up to me and you're trying to develop that backup quarterback, I've legitimately been asking other media members, hey, what do you, how do you feel about Garrett Gilbert? Because I, I genuinely like Garrett Gilbert and I like what I've yeah. seen. Yep. And I think he's a solid deve- developmental quarterback for this team where you could have Baker as a starter and you have Garrett Gilbert just developing as that backup, almost kind of like what you saw in New England with Brian Hoyer. Uh, for the longest time too, where he and he ended up coming back, and he's still the backup for Tom Brady, and, and that's the kind of system I think you could have with a Garrett Gilbert, because I like what I've seen. He's shown the arm talent. He just needs to work on a few things here and there, maybe work on the accuracy just slightly, but he's improved a ton from what I've seen before. Yeah, I left up there a little bit. Uh... fact that Demetrius Harris comes in with a perfect role in my opinion because of the fact that you see how Baker Mayfield handled Darren Fells last year and Darren Fells every I will just say that seeing Darren Fells in person last year he looked bigger that that is one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen and so Darren Fells really 
ends up moving on and you bring in a Demetrius Harris who obviously huge frame and really loves blocking but on top of that too it doesn't matter if you're a blocking tight end in Baker Mayfield's mind if you're open you're getting the ball and so Harris is somebody who I really liked as an addition to this team and I feel like for for the way that Baker handles the offense, he's somebody who can really go under the radar as a receiving uh, tight end as well. But taking a look around the room, really, I mean, Orson Charles, he's more of a glorified fullback uh, on this team. Also kind of works in that kind of H-back type of role where he might go out of tight end a little bit, come back in line uh, as well. But the the other tight ends, I will say too, uh, Farrell Brown, um, I know he's a local kid and went to Brush High School here as well, um, seeing him around the community as well. But the one thing for Pharaoh has really been, he's had some great plays every now and again, but there are so many focus drops that I've seen out of him that will just hit him right in the hands and he'll end up dropping it. And between that and then the fight that he ended up having with uh, Chad Thomas last weekend, I mean, right. really, uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about, I, I'm not sure how I feel how safe his roster spot is, if if I want to call it that. But, I mean, on top of that as well, I mean, the the issue that Seth the Valve has had has been he he will go underrated, and then all of a sudden you'll have a you'll have a few big plays. Everybody will ooh and ah, and then the next thing that you know, he gets injured. And that's the kind of issue that he's had is that he hasn't been able to kind of keep that momentum going for him to kind of keep it going uh, and keep it up really so that you can go ahead and have him have that bigger role in the offense. And at a certain point too, the coaching staff, I think he's really in danger of possibly getting cut this preseason, I would say. Yeah. I'll say this much. And I remember talking to Pete Smith about him when he was still a prospect before, well, before he was in the league and, and he was very excited. In fact, he took, Set the valve in our seven-round mock draft of Palooza when he was the GM for the Browns in our mock draft. So uh, <laughs> that was one of the yeah that was one of the picks that uh, he was super excited about when Devalve ended up there, and many of us have been excited about him. And for all the reasons you're saying, you know, he moves well, he runs extremely well, he's improved his blocking. <laughs> the one ability he has not been able to master is quote-unquote availability. You know, the old joke about you can't help the club in the tub. But uh, you're, you're hoping that at some point he pulls all that together because he has a talent. Yeah, and, and that's the one thing, too, is that especially, I mean, DeValve really, if he if he's able to perform like he, even not even, because obviously when he was drafted, everybody called him the Prince the Princeton Gronk, but at the same time, too, even if he gives you even half of that as just an extra receiving threat that you can go ahead and use as a chess piece. I mean, that's huge for this offense that already has so many different weapons already in its arsenal. You add another one and that's just another nightmare that the defensive coordinators can kind of go through. Okay. Um, so we talked about the, the guards, uh, obviously got, some other players on your offensive line. And, of course, I think that's the real – still sort of the wild card for how far this team goes will be quality offensive line. Yeah, everybody's starters is good. It's the NFL. I mean, obviously, some teams have better starters than others. 
But where offensive lines go from being functional or solid or okay to bad and sort of terrible is when they have to dig down to their, their reserve depth. So I was talking about some of the guards. If you threw, well, the tackles, obviously, I guess if you say quote unquote glamour position on the offensive line, that's the one. The one to make the most money. Take you through the, the depth situation there, who, who's where on the depth chart, and are they surprising? Or is the other, these players that these people don't know about, they should know about. Yeah, so obviously it's starter for the Browns. I mean, you've got um, you've got Greg Robinson, who actually really has impressed me a good amount this year uh, for the way that he's been able to play. I mean, he's quick off the snap, um, so he's actually looked pretty good to me. And honestly, he's quick off the snap, and he's also not getting too high as well. And he's really improved as a pass blocker, um, I, I would say for sure. Um, and really for a guy his size, he actually moves very well, and he's able to show off that athleticism that really got him taken number two overall. But in addition to him, too, uh, at right tackle, you've got Chris Hubbard as a starter. He's obviously going to be very solid. I, I think that uh, he's he's really improved overall in the weight room and has really been holding his own, especially because of the fact that the defense, you're rotating Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon to both sides. Um, but backup-wise, um, you've got Kendall Lamb as the backup right tackle. That looks like who they're going to be kind of rolling with uh, into the season, in my opinion. Um, and I know he wasn't very well received uh, by Houston fans. And I know in talking with some uh, friends down there in Houston as well, they, they, were, uh, they were relieved uh, to kind of see Kendall Lamb head out. But um, also, too, another backup tackle is uh, Brad Seaton, which the way that I describe his play is basically it, Brad Seaton is would be the left tackle if you're looking for a team for Baywatch. Uh, because getting up out of the stance, it's almost like watching him in slow motion. Um, he's really not quick off the snap. He's not he's gets very high uh, out of the snap as well. Um, very upright. And also, I mean, when he gets upright, he's six eight. So uh, it's not like it's it's not like it's a small frame. Uh, really. So he's, he loses a lot of that leverage uh, as well, but they also have um, another couple of backups for, for the team. Drew Forbes has been somebody who's been working on the inside um, as well, but I mean, he, he's, he's been kind of struggling and I think that he's somebody that they're hoping to pra- to put on the practice squad for this season as well. Um, and then Oh, I'm going to butcher this last name. Uh, Brian uh, Finian Ganofo. Finian Ganofo. Okay. I think I got that right. I don't know if I butchered that completely. But um, he's been somebody who's been kind of working with the twos and threes. I haven't really seen much of him, to be honest. Uh, and then Brian Witzman's also been working with the uh, a team who was previously a uh, reserve guard with Chicago. Right. What is the smartest thing? I'm sorry, could you say that again? You were kind of fading oh. out a little bit. Oh, okay. No, I'm just saying that even before I talked to you, it seemed to me that the the major area of concern was offensive line depth. 
And unless I misunderstood you, it sounds like you did not dispel any of those concerns. Uh, n- I mean, not really, honestly. I mean, for for me, I think that there's a few backup linemen that I, I I'm I'm comfortable with with this team. But I mean, honestly, with the way that this team has been built, um, if, if there's an injury, I think that you're gonna have a, you're gonna be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I would say Kendall Lamb and at that right tackle spot. I think that that's the right tackle is the only spot that I would be comfortable losing one of those guys. But I mean, honestly, the other backup lineman I would say is probably going to be Kalis as well as Eric Cush. Probably those guys are going to be battling uh, as well as Corbett. So I think two of those three at that right guard spot will end up making the team. And then it'll be interesting to see who else ends up making that making the squad as well. Um, but when it comes to depth, I mean, it, it, it's the starting lineup. I feel extremely comfortable with, honestly, other than right guard, seeing how that shakes out, but the backup situations, it's, it's a backup situation for, for linemen in the NFL. I think that when you talk about most uh, of the league, I think that when you get into the backup situation, it's going to get a little bit dicey. Well, that was one of the things that was a strength of St. Pittsburgh um, in the last couple of years, that even when they would lose somebody and starting to lose two somebodies, the drop-off wouldn't be so severe. And that's that's going to be a big test, I think, for, for the Browns going forward. And obviously they have eyes on any other teams that end up shedding offensive linemen. I'm going, I'm going to go out on, I don't think it's very, a very big limb, and say that, they're going to be hunting the waiver wire when cuts come around to see if they can maybe upgrade some of those guys. Yeah, it, it would not shock me at all if they go ahead and went, uh, went in that direction. And even, too, I mean, the one thing that I will say is that at least compared to previous seasons, the Browns have a very good offensive line coach, in my opinion, when you have James Campen. Uh, who was one of the mainstays in Green Bay. And, I mean, he was somebody who ended up developing David Bakhtiari and a lot of those guys as well, who might not necessarily have been the high, the higher draft picks that you might expect, but at the same time, for him to go ahead and be on this, on this coaching staff, I'm really excited to see how he's able to develop some of these offensive linemen, uh, especially, too, for some of these guys who really – haven't been the flashy players previously, but see if he's see what he's able to get out of these guys. Okay, got it. Uh, jumping over to defense, uh, everybody knows Miles Garrett. Uh, we don't have to Miles Garrett. Um, you know, the uh, fan of dinosaurs and a bit of a monster himself. Uh, so, mm-hmm. take me through the guys not named Miles Garrett on the defensive line, and once again, especially with an eye towards any position battles. Yeah, so really, I, that first team defensive line is, I think, among the best in the league. Uh, when you mm-hmm. look at left to right, you, you've you got Olivier Vernon as that left end, and he's really been adjusting well. He's been dealing with a little bit of a hamstring issue, but he should be fine. Um, so Vernon at that left end spot. Then you've got Larry Ogunjobi in the middle at nose, as well as Sheldon Richardson as a three-tech. And then, obviously, you mentioned Miles Garrett. I mean, looks like he could be a defensive player of the year candidate this year. And to be quite honest, I, I think that it it would not shock me at all if he gets to 20 sacks this year. But even moving past him, uh, I, I look at some of these guys like Chris Smith, uh, who could come in as that situational pass rusher. 
And when you talk about situational pass rushers as well, you cannot help but talk about Jannard Avery. Jannard Avery has been one of those guys yeah. where, I mean, he was a fifth round pick, but the guy is a dog when it comes to rushing the passer. And yep. he gets after it. And not only that, too, he's really shown the fact that he might be a little bit smaller framed, but he's got the quickness and he's been working on his hand on his hand movements as well. And kind of those pass rushing moves uh, going into this year, I think that he could be very dangerous as a pass rusher. But one who kind of has been a quiet team favorite has been uh, Danny Ukali, uh, the defensive tackle as well. Um, he's really been impressing so far and he blew up a couple of plays and actually another one too, that was mentioned by name by Freddie Kitchens was, uh, Devaro Lawrence, uh, the defensive tackle who they traded for last year with new Orleans. And he's really, he was blowing up a lot of plays consistently. Um, and I mean, when it comes to Trayvon Coley, I think that in my opinion, he's just a guy. I think that he's somebody who is average depth. Uh, on a on a team, um, he he could be uh, a solid rotational piece for a team that's de- that's uh, rebuilding. But I think on a winning team, I think that or on a Super Bowl contending team, I think that um, you can do a little bit. You can do better than uh, Coley. But in addition to that, too, especially on the defensive line, the one player that I've really been trying to keep an eye on has been Chad Thomas, uh, because last year didn't get much playing time at all, and even when he was in there, didn't look good at all. Um, but I mean, even off the snap, he looks a little bit slow. Um, but really for him, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. I feel like obviously you have that third round pick status, but at at the same time though, for, for me, I just got to see more development out of him. Uh, that's the biggest thing when we're talking about Chad Thomas is just the fact that for, for where he was drafted in order to justify where he was drafted, uh, you have to get more production out of him instead of having him be a, a routine, inactive, week in, week out. Got it. Got it. Uh, clearly, you and I uh, both belong to the Joe Schobert fan club. Take me through <laughs> the the other. Take me through the other linebackers, and you mentioned Mac Wilson being a guy that might play in maybe even some subpackages, nickel dime situations. He's the kind of guy that you know, almost is like a third safety or how, you know, in terms of how he plays, uh, the knock on him, if you want to call it a knock, uh, one is, you know, just being how strong or he is or isn't at the point of attack, he has to come downhill. And then even his, even just his instincts in terms of uh, run fits, things like that, even though he, he seems very comfortable in space, he hasn't always seemed as comfortable in the phone booth. Uh, but take me through the rest of the guys, and if they have particular roles or strengths, let me know what those are. Yeah, uh, for me, I mean, Ardarius Taylor is uh, somebody who has picked up uh, this offseason, too. And, I mean, you talked about special teams earlier. He was somebody I actually forgot to mention. But Ardarius Taylor is looks solid as a special teams contributor, so I think there's a good chance that he makes it on the roster. Another one who's been a very vocal leader and somebody who – I really didn't expect to see all that much out of, but I actually kind of like is Ray Ray Armstrong. Uh, I I really like what I've seen from him. And I think that there's a chance that he can make the roster, but there's a lot of good talent around here, uh, especially too. you look at Willie Harvey. Uh, He's somebody as an undrafted free agent who's trying to make a name for himself uh, here at camp as well. But Wyatt Ray has been somebody who's been trying to go ahead and work his way in. And even too, somebody who's been a, a big hitter, 
especially too, has been Anthony Stubbs. Um, I, I like what I've seen out of him so far. Um, and I think that it, while it might not be on the Browns, I think that he, he's got a chance uh, to possibly land somewhere else around the league as well. Got it. And now we get to one of my personal favorite position groups to discuss, uh, defensive backs. Partially because they're the ones that really decide, to some extent, how many big plays you give up, right? Teams with great safety play don't tend to give up a lot of big plays. Teams with average safety play give up some big plays. Teams with poor safety play tend to give up a lot of big plays. So tell me a little about your situation in the, in the uh, secondary. Obviously, you talked about Greedy Williams emerging as a guy that's pushing to pops, perhaps even be a starter this year. Whether he starts or not, he's going to play a great deal. Uh, who else is involved in a position battle in the secondary? And once again, strengths, weaknesses, things you've noticed. Yeah, so, I mean, Denzel Ward is Denzel Ward. I think that he's somebody who shows off the speed. He can run with just about anybody, especially even Odell, um, and can go step for step with them. But even, too, moving past uh, Ward and Williams, who I think is going to be that kind of dynamic duo that you see, just looking at cornerbacks, I mean, Tavir Thomas, like I mentioned, is a, is a solid contributor on special teams. But Terrence Mitchell has really looked good, in my opinion. I love what I've seen from him. And really, he's been battling. Had a couple of interceptions. Another one, too, who's really improved uh, this offseason. And I think it's also because it's his second year here. And that's TJ Carey. Uh, TJ Carey, he's really kind of taken over that nickel role. And even, too, when they go into the big nickel situations, uh, they kind of have him even kind of shift outside a little bit as well, where they go ahead and they'll have Jermaine Whitehead take over as that starting safety. And I think that he's actually going to end up being the starting safety. Whitehead really has been that guy where he can go ahead, shift over to the nickel and cover if you need him to, but also be that kind of thumper in the run game and be that extra linebacker that Wilkes even likes, likes to talk about uh, as well. But continuing through the cornerbacks as well, Eric Murray, he's been getting some more snaps with the ones a little bit here and there um, in that big in that big nickel where you go ahead, you have Whitehead, Murray, and Demarius Randall out there as well. Um, the one player uh, that I will say that has gotten mentioned by name who's really flown under the radar is Justin Burris. Um, and uh, oh, yeah. Wilkes mentioned him by name a couple of times when it was brought up about the fact that he likes those hybrid safety linebacker type of players. And they mentioned the fact that Buda Baker was one of them, as well as Shaq Thompson. And he made sure to say that Jermaine Whitehead is one of those players and Justin Burris is one of those guys as well uh, for this team. And the, the one thing that I will also say is that Morgan Burnett has really underperformed, in my opinion. And to be quite honest, depending on how well some of these younger guys play, I think that Morgan Burnett could be in jeopardy. I think it wouldn't shock me at all um, if they went ahead and moved on from Burnett and kind of just ate that money a little bit. But um, JT Hassel has also been another guy who's been making some plays here and there. Uh, he's shown some of his talent as well. Um, and then also, too, uh, taking a look at it, too, Philip Gaines has looked long as well uh, in coverage as well uh, and kind of going tit for tat 
with some of these receivers, but those guys have really been interesting. And I will say too, Sheldrick Redwine has really showed off that athleticism that you love to see uh, as well on the defense, kind of playing in that safety type of role. And even too, Wilkes also mentioned Redwine as one of those guys who has that speed that you want to go ahead and be able to cover tight end. So there's a role, I think, for Redwine where year one, he could be that guy who comes in, kind of goes one-on-one against those tight ends in matchup situations. Right. Okay. And obviously we don't talk a lot about specialists. Uh, you mentioned Colquitt or you know, Hunters a little bit. So, uh, I must assume that in your mind, there's not a lot of competition for the place kicking position. Um, actually, that's that's one of the uh, oddly enough. Whenever I post stuff on Twitter, that's the one that I always get asked about because Greg Joseph, um, has really has really been kicking well for the most part. Um, and uh, although there have been some some misses, and I will say this, he is either spot on or when he misses, he misses. Uh, so for him, it, it, it's been interesting, an interesting camp, but the one thing that I will say is that Austin Siebert really hasn't stood out, um, all that much. And there's been days where he's gone one of four kicking and everything like that. And obviously when you invest a fifth round pick in a kicker, you, you better hope that he is, is able to beat out the undrafted guy from the year before. And so taking a look at Siebert, I, I think that he's got to have a, He's got to have a good camp. If he's if he has a good camp the rest of the way, I think that he's going to be fine. But, I mean, it, it hasn't been great for Seabird so far. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to anything we haven't touched on. Oh, coaching staff. Um, obviously, uh, you had a coach who assumed the mantle, you know, during the last season, didn't start out as the head coach, uh, had to do a lot of things on the fly. Now he's had a chance to go through what it's like to be an actual head coach with a full slate of all the normal, you know, preseason niceties, all the everything. Tell me, uh, one, about your impressions, obviously, of, of Coach Kitchens himself, and talk to me also about the staff and are there any of the coaches that you think are going to make a particular impact on the team this year? Well, honestly, the biggest thing, and like I mentioned, I, I, I had been at camp the last two years um, when Hugh Jackson was the head coach. And I will say this, that the biggest, the biggest differences that I've seen and I've really noticed have been the differences in philosophy and coaching when it comes to the coaching staff uh, because of the fact that you see this coaching staff really go back to the fundamentals, uh, especially on defense too, because this, this Browns team was one of the worst uh, teams when it comes to missed tackles last year, and they've really gone back to the basics and focusing on, okay, let's improve our coverage skills a little bit. Let's work on our footwork, everything like that day in and day out. And especially tackling has been a main focus of the team as a whole. But really the other thing that I will say is that you're starting to see competition, especially because when it came to the Hugh Jackson era, it would be okay, our first team offense is playing against our second team defense and our first team defense is playing up against our second team offense. And really you weren't, you wouldn't be able to get a good gauge on what talent that you have because you were, you weren't necessarily looking at the same level of competition. And Freddie has really welcomed that. And I will say this too. I mean, 
especially the fact that Hugh Jackson a lot of the time would not necessarily be right in there when it came to his coaching style and be in there and coaching the guys, but Freddie makes his rounds. He goes out and he talks with everybody and he's really making sure he's checking up and talking with each and every one of the players. And I mean, even some of the national guys who have kind of come, come over and watch some of these practices, they're even saying to us like, Hey, congratulations. This is the first time I've seen a Cleveland Browns team. That's had an, a legitimate NFL practice. And that's the, that's the biggest change that I I've seen and the kind of tight ship that they run. I'm actually a big fan of what I've been able to see and just the coaching style of everybody overall. Got it. Okay. And I know you, I mean, you, you can't see schematically what, you know, what they're doing because one is it's everything's super vanilla probably right now. And two you know, they're not actually calling plays. I mean, not fully calling plays, so it's hard to figure out what's happening. Do you see any changes, though, or maybe just in sort of general philosophy, uh, not so much maybe schematically, with what the offense is now, with Kitchens going from being, you know, the, the OC to the, to the man in the big chair? Uh, are there things you think will be different for them on offense? And then we'll talk a little bit about defense as well. Uh, I th- I think so. I think so, honestly. I mean, I know that it's early, but I think that you can definitely kind of see the fact that there's a plan for each and every one of the players, even. Uh, the fact that, I mean, Nick Chubb, they're getting him more involved with the passing game, even. And really, he's been improving in that regard as well. Um, but in addition to that, too, I think you can also kind of see the influence that Monken has on this offense as a whole as well, because of the fact that I, I I wrote about this in an article last night on the OBR as well, but the fact that the that this receiving room, I think, is an upgraded version of what he had, and even this offense is an upgraded version of what he had in Tampa because you can see the kind of roles already being filled. So by comparison, uh, you have the star receiver in Odell Beckham compared to Mike Evans in Tampa Bay. Uh, in Tampa Bay, you had Chris Godwin as that that bigger possession type of receiver as well for them. And that's what who I, I think that they end up filling that role with Rashard Higgins. And I think Jarvis Landry is a much talent, a much more talented version of Adam Humphreys uh, for that slot role because he's almost exclusively been in the slot uh, so far this season. And then the other one, too, is that Antonio Callaway, I, I've even noticed, too, They've they've been giving him a very limited route tree as well, uh, where you see him kind of running a lot more slants, um, very uh, some posts, but a lot of nine routes, a lot of drags, uh, a lot of those short routes that are going to be able to get him in open space and get him while he's moving as well, compared to a Richard Higgins where Higgins knows where to find the hole in the zone and he's able to sit, able to sit back and able to get those passes from Baker. Because Baker, obviously, last year, without having the first team snaps, his number one receiver was Richard Higgins. So he and Higgins have a very good comfort level uh, when it comes to knowing where to find the other and what the other likes. So I think that the overall offense, you can even see the plan of attack already forming right now. And, I mean, we're only eight, nine days into into training camp so far. So I, I really like what I've seen. But the fact that not only are you getting those even those hints of the schematic of the schematics when it comes to these practices, but the fact that also, like I mentioned, 
you're not only having this focus on a scheme, but also the focus on the fundamentals and not losing out on any of those as well. Okay, got it. And I guess the last uh, thing or two we'll touch upon. So clearly, you know, you saw a change in, well, everything about the team when uh, <laughs> Mayfield came on. You saw everything change, or certain things change, obviously, when uh, you implemented the change from uh, Hugh Jackson to, to Coach Kitchens. Uh, are there other things that have changed that you are noticing? And this could be anything from uh, conditions, anything from uh, how practices look. This could be anything, I guess, <laughs> uh, that we haven't already discussed that you think are different this year from last year. Well, the and honestly, I I think that if we're talking about practices, I think that they look more crisp. Uh, they look like they have um, they it, it looks like the players are playing with a purpose uh, instead of just kind of going through the motions a little bit. Um, but on top of that, too, I think that you can in the same way that there are certain ways that when and th- this kind of analogy that I roll with. But the fact that there are certain movies where if the movie doesn't look good, but the actor still has to kind of go make the media rounds and has to talk up that movie. Uh, you can kind of tell a little bit when they're going over the top with it. But at the same time, when you get that one movie where you know how you can tell how much they genuinely enjoyed making it and genuinely love what they were doing with it and how good that it is. I think that you can kind of see that kind of change with these players. They're a lot more loose uh, this year. They're able to have a little bit more fun with it as well. And even too, like th- one one of the little uh, tidbits too was that there was a couple days ago um, when Baker was the the pressure was coming on to Baker and he was rolling out and the the coverage was fantastic. It was man it was man coverage and all the receivers were locked down and Baker's trying to roll out and it seemed like the players just weren't getting open. So they were slowing up a bit. So Baker threw it out of bounds and he was going off on the receivers, told him to quit running. That's a scramble drill. And everybody got kind of got quiet and they were kind of sitting back like, Oh, what, what's going on? And then you end up having Christian Kirksey screaming out, Hey, I guess that's good for the defense. If you look at it that way, like, and you can kind of see the fact that the players are having fun with it while improving. And oh. that's the biggest change that I've noticed is that the players are able to have a good time while also enjoying that competition that you really have not seen the last few years. Got it. Okay. Um, and then my final thing is just focused on rookies. So, if someone said who are the impact rookies, um, I'm going I'm going to just go on a on a not even much of a limb. I'm going to since you've almost said it. Um, yes, give me a little bit of an idea of your your thoughts and feelings uh, of the the rookie situation. And I'm like I said, I'm going to go out on, on a bit of a limb and assume Brady Williams is one of them. Uh, but give me the rest of the rookies, whether they be drafted, undrafted, whatever. But who else do you think might be an impact rookie? Uh, and then we'll, we'll close it out. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you mentioned him. Greedy Williams, I think. I think Greedy has a chance to be a starter day one. And Greedy, uh, for as much as everybody talks about his tackling, Greedy has come in. He has been a willing participant in the run game. He has been willing to go ahead, step up, and make the tackle and make those big hits, and he's been trying to improve in that as well. Um, But that was something that I really didn't expect out of Greedy. And I think that for him, going up against Odell every day, and he's holding his own. So I think that Greedy really is showing off that that natural his natural ball skills. He's already getting a few interceptions. He's getting comfortable with the media and everything. Um, so I think that he is he has a chance to be a very special player. And I think that him and Ward have a chance to be a very special duo. But uh, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. The only Taki Taki is somebody who I'm I'm very interested in. Um, I think that if he's able to uh, step up his coverage skills. I think that he could be a starter sooner rather than later, um, possibly. Uh, and depending on how well he plays, it wouldn't shock me if following the season, if Christian Kirksey might be, like we mentioned too with Duke Johnson, a cap casualty at that point. But in addition to Taki Taki, uh, Mac Wilson has a chance as a as a pass coverage specialist, I think. Um, but he has to improve in the run game. He he gets swallowed up too many times. Um, but other than those guys, those are my big three when it comes to the rookies. Um, Redwine, I think, has a has a good chance to be a special teams ace, uh, I think. But other than those than those four, I, I, I think that those are the main those are the main guys who have a chance to make a an instant impact, I think, day one. Got it. Got it. Perfect. Well, first of all, I want to thank you. Uh, it has been extremely helpful to have somebody who is so close to, you know, um, ground browns in terms of all the things that are that are happening in the, I'll just say it, the most exciting team in the NFL. Uh, it is a <laughs> phrase that has not often been pointed in that direction, but, I mean, you go across, I, I talk to people all, all around the country, and Everybody is talking about two teams, their team and the Browns. That's that's what everybody's talking about. Everyone's talking about their team and the Browns. So the Browns have been on everyone's lips uh, this year. So this is an exciting time. What a time to be alive, as they say. Um, So first of all, tell people where they can find your work and where they can follow you on social media. Uh, yeah, so I my all my written work is going to be over at the Orange and Brown Report. That's uh, the OBR through 24-7 Sports. Uh, so you can find me on there. <clears throat> uh, best way to reach me is uh, through Twitter. Uh, that's at MacRobinsonCLE. And uh, that's also the same tag on Instagram as well as Facebook. You guys can find me on there. And uh, yeah, most of my written work will be over at the OBR. Well, excellent. Uh, once again... I mean, the, the future looks like it holds, you know, a lot of really interesting, amazing, exciting things. I think that whatever happens this year, uh, I think there'll probably be, you know, maybe a few things that might be a little disappointing, but I think mostly people will be pleasantly impressed with how things go. <laughs> and most importantly is when you have a, a young quarterback who's already playing at a high level, 
and he's just beginning to figure out. As little thing goes, now he knows. When you first get the lead, you don't even know what you don't know. Now at least he knows what he doesn't know. Uh, and then once he has the answers to the test, is what you get to at some point. You're, I mean, that's where Tom Brady is. That's where Peyton Manning had gotten to, you know, late in his career. That's where all of the elite quarterbacks somehow get to. Where they, they have the talent, but then you have to play long enough to you get the quote-unquote answers to the test. And once you have the answers to the test, uh, where there's almost nothing you haven't seen, because there's still things you haven't seen. You know, so there's still going to be some growing pains, but give it a few more years, and, you know, I, it just, you know, the sky is the limit for what he can be. Uh, the next few years, like I said, uh, looks like a lot of crazy good things should be happening. So congratulations. Like I said, I hope I hope it all goes well, and, and you know, we'll all be, even those, you know, I'm not particularly a fan, but I am a fan of football. And when I see a great collection of talent all together, I want to see where it goes. You know, I, I've seen this all come together, and sometimes, you know, it takes you all to the mountaintop, and sometimes, like we've seen with other teams, you know, like with Jacksonville, of course, they didn't have, you know, a – they had a young quarterback, but you – know, <laughs> We know Blake Bortles. Oh, we, we, we know right, Blake Bortles. Right, right, But sometimes you have all the, almost all the pieces. I guess in that case, almost all the pieces come together, and then it just takes, you know, one thing not being there. So, yes, if they can – Get that exciting young collection of talent. Uh, one, keep it together uh, with all the restrictions and the salary caps, and then two, keep adding you know some of the pieces that maybe aren't there, which is where you sort of separate the you know the the boys from the men or the contenders from the champions. Comes when it comes to adding in those little back filling, those little seemingly unimportant or less important roles uh, that you may not have filled. And if you can do that, you know, while still managing to remain on the salary cap, that's how you become a championship-level team. So, once again, like I said, uh, congratulations. Uh, this is the most discussed team in the NFL. And if they can live up to expectations, I mean, who knows where the season will take you. While I, I think they may not quite be ready to make a run towards, you know, hosting the Lombardi, I think hmm. they are certainly pointing in the right direction. And if they continue going in that direction. I mean, this will be, you could be part of the first generation, <laughs> the first whatever. I mean, they obviously won championships. Uh, in fact, they won seven of them, but that was long before, long before. Uh, that was when had, Jim Brown was still the running back for this team. Well, that, I mean, that's how long really, it's been. <laughs> well, yeah, it goes back to when, Really, Marion Motley was the primary running back when the when the run started. Uh, you know, Otto Graham, Dub Jones, uh, Dante Lavelli. Um, you know, stop me when you when I name somebody you you, you would be recognized. But yes, um, they 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 uh, the end of this run came. Uh, you know, when Jim Brown was there. But yeah, the beginning of the run came when Jim Brown was you know like a high school kid. Um, you know, that'll put it in perspective. But, yes, they had a run uh, starting in the old American, uh, all-American uh, football uh, conference and then obviously ending in the NFL. Uh, but, yes, they had a run where they were really the best team in football. Uh, and some people doubted when they first joined the NFL, well, you know, how good were they really? Well, they won three more championships in a row. So there we go. That answers that question. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, they, they, is this, since then, since in the last, 
let's say 55, just to pick a number that is easy to deal with. The last 55 years have been a little more challenging. So, you know, like I said, <laughs> good on you on not being born in the 19th, you know, early 1960s, um, because, you know, you at least miss some of the, the suffering. But, like I said, uh, whatever happens, it's going to be an exciting run, and, and like I said, we get to watch it. We get to be alive for it. So thank you once again for your time. Thank you for your talent. Thank you for your attention. I will probably want to see if maybe we can bring you back on towards the midpoint of the season and do a temperature check and see if everything's still, um, you know, <laughs> things are still, people are still, you know, running around with big smiles on their faces or if, you know, reality is uh, turned out differently. But either way, like I said, it'll be exciting. Thank you so much. Uh, so people, Thank you. please, if you're, not follow, oh, certainly, if you're not following Mac Robinson, what are you doing with your lives? Uh, because, <laughs> once again, even if you're not a Cleveland fan, everyone's talking about Cleveland. Why not get good information? Uh, so it's at Mac Robinson CLE, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Right, well, get out there, people. Start following. Uh, once again, I do thank you, and have a wonderful rest of your evening, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Uh, next week, we will have, I think, possibly, well, I, haven't, I, haven't co- I haven't confirmed it, but I'm aiming on trying to get Coach Latrell Scott. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, so I'll let you guys know when I get firmed up to who I'll have next week. Uh, also, I'll be booking some prospect guests for the uh, CBS Pro Prospect Radio Show. And uh, my co-host, Jim Colbert and I will be uh, doing feeling a draft. So I'll be keeping – it's that time of season of the year. was almost the season, but that time of year when I do a lot of talking to a lot of people about football. Once again, uh, like I said, uh, I will be looking forward to speaking to you in the future and, and have a great rest of your night, Matt. All right. Thank you very much. You too. Okay, take care. Uh, once again, I, I do want to thank him on the way out. I want to let everybody know, like I said, we'll be doing this with somebody uh, for the rest of the season. We'll have, well, like I said, preseason, I guess, and then the, the real season once the season begins. And uh, for those who have been following, listening, uh, and participating, you know, couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you once again. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.